Where are our coffee drinkers? What about our too busy in the morning, need to pack everything you can into the one beverage you get people? Mornings are hectic. If I have to choose between my coffee and a breakfast item, coffee wins every time. This is why Laird Superfoods was so appealing to me. I wanted to be able to add superfoods into something that I was already consuming because like I said, with three kids, my mornings are the most chaotic part of my day. But honestly, other than the caffeine aspect, my coffee was pretty much empty calories once my creamer was added. And that sugar crash I get is never my favorite part of the day. If you want more from your coffee, Laird Superfood is for you. They have better ingredients, amazing taste, and functional benefits that are crafted from the highest quality of all-natural, real food ingredients. They contain naturally occurring MCTs from coconut oil. It's shelf-stable. There are no artificial flavors, colors, or additives, and there is no sugar from highly refined corn syrup. 2023 is all about trying new things, and Laird Superfood has functional superfood creamers, instant lattes, and prebiotic greens, as well as a variety of snacks, baking mixes, and protein options full of wholesome, plant-based ingredients to keep you charged for wherever life takes you. Are you ready to feel more energized, focused, and supported? Go to LairdSuperfood.com and add nourishing, plant-based foods to fuel you from sunrise to sunset. Use our promo code GRUESOME at checkout to save 15% off of your purchase today. Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I am Meg and our friend Connie, who has had a week or two, (laughs) is going to tell us about Rebecca Shaper. That actually is a good segue because before we get started, I want to address why we didn't put out an episode last week. And I know in the grand scheme of things, it's It sounds kind of bad to say, like, we don't really owe anyone an explanation, but I just feel like it's good to say, you know, just put it out there. We didn't forget about you guys, but like I had some stuff going on in my house and I had a horrible mental health week. And in 2023, pretty, pretty girls are prioritizing mental health and not overworking ourselves to where we like resent things that we love. So this podcast, like the podcast, (laughs) and I just had so much in my home life going on last week that kind of triggered like a mental health spiral for myself. And so it was not a good week. And then literally I got everything going and pretty much, I think my husband and I are left standing, but we, my entire house has norovirus, which if you're not familiar with it is the most disgusting stomach virus you can have. And my oldest picked it up first. It's been going around our schools. My neighbor had it. It's it's going around everywhere right now in good old Ohio. This is it just like pukey, pukey, stomach, um, achy. My oldest described it as a volcano from both ends. So, oh, poor buddy. That sucks. Yeah. Cause he's 12 and like he's fine. Like he, I was able to like kind of quarantine him and I was like, oh, he's, you know, we caught it. The school called and honestly, I thought he just had to poop and just didn't want to poop (laughs) at school because he's saying his stomach was hurting and he walked in the door and was like, like all over the place. So which is why this episode is coming out on Thursday because, you know, just shit happens, man. But I wanted to say that for anyone who does struggle with mental health, you can have like your medication if you take medicine, it can be working perfect 90% of the time. And you have those 10% of time where, you know, you don't want to get out of bed. You don't want to see the sunlight. And that's where I was at last week. And it's okay. So it doesn't make you less. You're not letting people down, which is like what I really had to struggle with. But as St. Karen told me, you can't pour from an empty cup. So you got to kind of step back. And yeah, I was like, absolutely. And it's, and again, that's like- it's a person first mentality you know like we love doing the podcast you love doing the podcast and Mm -hmm. I love it just because we love doing it doesn't mean like we're not gonna have moments when we're like I cannot do this right now yeah and it's good that you were like I can't do this right now because I was 
Like I was trying to put it together and I literally a text me. I was like, look, I'll be honest. I can't do it this week. Like I, I have no, honestly, I was like, I have no desire to do this. I don't want to, I am, my brain is not working at all. I, and I didn't want to do it. And then it'd be something I was pissed off that I did and then not give it like, you know, the commentary, the position. The pizzazz, the sparkle that we use. <laughs> I didn't want you guys to miss out on Connie's sparkle. My sparkle. And then tonight, like we were literally about to record, my daughter fell asleep and woke up from sleep, projectile vomiting all over me. And my new recliner, my in laws just gave us. And, uh, like when I say a bitch is going through it, like a bitch is going through it, I thought, man, 34 is. Not the best right now, guys. <laughs> well, it just started. You still have plenty of time. I got to make up because whew, this is any indicator. Send me back to 33 or take me to 35. But back to our regular scheduled programming. We received a message. I can't remember if it was like Instagram or email that said something along the lines of, we love that you cover small cases, but we want to hear you cover some bigger ones as well. And so I took that personally and I was like, you know, I'm going to do a bigger case that we usually don't do. But this is a case that like I remember my mom talking to me about like when I was growing up and how much this case changed stalking laws and celebrity stalking and things like that. And the fact that you could used to go into the California DMV and for a dollar fill out a form and find out anyone's address. You didn't have to. What? You could, yeah, you could just fill out, it's form, I think it was like form 70, and you could just go in there. It had a reason why you needed the address, but you could lie. You could be like, I'm a gardener, I'm doing promo or whatever. And they would get, the DMV would give you the address. <gasps> That's so crazy. Uh, I mean, like, yes, now we have the internet and you can mostly just find it, but just the idea that you could go get their, the thing that's on their driver's license, like yeah. here, this is where they're at. Probably. Because before, uh, celebrities weren't allowed to put businesses address, like put, they weren't allowed to put like a business address down or like a PO box. It was, they had like, it was like their home address. Their home address. Yeah. And Ooh, think about scary. like how much security has changed since then. So it's like, yeah, you can get the address to the Kardashians, but you're not getting anywhere near that house like it's uh -uh. it's not happening so tonight i'm going to talk about the murder of rebecca schaefer rebecca schaefer was born on november 6 1967 in eugene oregon she was the only child of parents dana and dr benson schaefer her dad was a child psychologist her mom was a writer and an instructor who taught at willamette university and portland community college Rebecca attended Lincoln High School in Portland, where she initially had aspirations of being a rabbi. The dream was pushed to the side when Rebecca started modeling when she was 15, about like around her sophomore year. She appeared in department store catalogs, television commercials, and she was an extra in a TV movie. Nanette Troutman worked at one of the first agencies who took notice of Rebecca. She said that, quote, I took one look and fell in love. She had a fresh, charismatic way about her and was very gorgeous with big brown eyes, dimples, and a beautiful smile. In 1984, Rebecca lived my teenage dream and headed to New York City with elite model management for the summer so that she could further pursue her dream of modeling. In New York, she attended the Professional Children's School, which is a school that is specifically geared towards helping aspiring child actors and dancers from grades like 6 through 12. Some famous people that have attended this school, Christina Ritchie, Christina, Christy Carlson Romano, Leighton Meester, Misha Barton, Jack Antonoff, Vanessa Carlton, the list goes on and on. So this is like a pretty big, this is a big Prestigious, deal. Prestigious, yeah. Prestigious, absolutely. Later in 1984, Rebecca landed a role playing Annie Barnes on One Life to Live. She had that role for six months, and she was still trying to pursue her modeling career while she worked on the show. But because in mo the modeling world, she was, I say only with a very like, ugh, like this. She was only 5'7", which oh, I would love Not tall at all. <laughs> I would love to be 5'7". She was considered too short to be a high fashion model. 
She even moved to Japan in 1985 for more modeling opportunities, but she still had difficulties really breaking into the high fashion world. When she returned to New York, she went back to her acting roots. Douglas Ash, who was at the time, he worked at Prestige Modeling Agency. He said that he met Rebecca in Portland and that she was just different. He said that she was this nice, clean kid. She was very serious about what she did. She took her job very serious. And they would have her like in, like when they would go places in a room with like six other models. But she was always the good kid who never lost her friends, like friends that she's had since like grade school or her perspective. Her hard work paid off when she was given the cover of Seventeen magazine in March of 1987. And I don't even think Seventeen's a thing anymore, is it? It is. Is it? I, I know so. a lot of the print media. Print. Yeah. I remember no, like yep. Seventeen and quite what was the have. other one. J14. Teen B. I mean, teen Beat. Yes. I specifically remember the um, NSYNC cover. Uh, mm-hmm. Mine was Hanson. I was like, hey, I was thinking about the Hanson one too. Yeah. I forgot what I was typing because I started thinking about NSYNC. Yeah, 17 <laughs> still a thing. For it's sure. super weird because in the cover picture, she looks eerily like my mother-in-law did when she was like in her early she 20s. She's younger. Yeah. I mean, to this day, I mean, she still looks like she did back then, but I saw the pic- her cover picture and I was like, holy cannoli. Um, not long after landing her cover, she was called to Los Angeles to do a screen test of a new show called My Sister Sam. The show was about a teenager who moved from Oregon to San Francisco to live with her 29-year-old sister, Sam, after their parents died. When Rebecca got the part, her agent wasn't even able to call her because she hadn't been able to pay. She didn't have enough money, so she didn't pay her phone bill and her phone was disconnected. So he had to tape the note to her door to break the news that she was on her way to stardom. And her career did take off. My Sister Sam was a hit its first season, raking in the top 25 of TV shows. But even as she gained popularity, she was down to earth. Um, A year prior to her murder, she dated actor Sean Six, who was best known for his role in the Alien Nation series. He said that, quote, Rebecca was extremely curious and spirited and that they would travel, go to parks, have picnics, and that she was the only actor that he ever knew who managed to become successful and remain unjaded. Further even, when she got the job on My Sister Sam, she moved to L.A. by herself. She rented How old was she? Um, when she first moved there, I think she was 17. Oh, man. That would be scary. Mm-hmm. She rented the apartment by herself. Six said that she lived a very quiet life and she was somewhat of a loner. Friends were skeptical of her living by herself in the city, and they told her that she shouldn't be living like, hey, this isn't this isn't a good idea. Down the street, just a random tidbit, um, she lived about a mile from Cedar sinai Hospital in L.A., mm-hmm. which we saw when we went to L.A. Um, she lived down the street from her was Brad Pitt. Cute. Who, like, wasn't, like, the Brad Pitt that we know right now, but like, <laughs> he was just starting out. Baby Brad Pitt. During that first season of My Sister Sam, Rebecca caught the eye of the monster who was John Bardo. John Bardo was born on January 2nd, 1970. He was the youngest of seven children. His dad, Philip, was in the Air Force, and his mom, June, um, they got married when his dad was stationed in Japan. After years of moving, you know, military life, the Bardos settled in Tucson, Arizona. According to reports, Bardo suffered significant abuse, both mental and physical, from his mom, who was said to be mentally ill, his father, who was known to be an alcoholic, and one of his older brothers, who was said to be very cruel to him. School-wise, Bardo did very well grade-wise, but he would write these letters to one of his teachers where the common theme was his own suicide, the murders of others. Like, very troubling things for a teacher to read. So, obviously... He was just writing her letters, or were they, like, assignments? Why were... Letters are going to be a big theme in this douchebag's life. Okay. So, it didn't specify if it was, like, an assignment, but based off of all of the other letters that he writes, like, it wouldn't surprise me if he was just like, hey, teach. He was just, like, writing letters as, like, an outlet for... Mm -hmm. 
The letters were escalated and the school urged his parents to get mental health counseling for their son. But outside of a few counseling sessions, Bardo didn't really receive significant mental health treatment. His teacher described him as, quote, a time bomb on the verge of exploding. At one point, he spent some time in foster care and he had many psychiatric evaluations and it was determined that he was severely emotionally handicapped. His family was pathological and dysfunctional. He was also diagnosed with bipolar disorder. He spent time in a psychiatric hospital. He was only there for about a month before his parents removed him. And it was really weird that they did because he seemed to actually be making progress while he was there. So prior to this, we're going to rewind a little bit because I want to give you a little bit of background on the pattern that became the stalking pattern that Bardo had because it's pretty significant. When he was 13, he took a bus from Tucson to Maine because he had became obsessed with Samantha Smith and she was a child peace activist who like she wrote letters to the Soviet leader Yuri Andropov asking if like the Soviet Union intended on starting a war. And so he responded with like an invitation to Russia so she could see like the Russian culture, meet some Russian people. And it's, they have, they were eventually like kind of pen pals and she went to Russia. She had this like deep connection to Russian people. And this was like publicized. Like how did you yeah, know about yeah, that? This was okay. a big deal. Like everyone around the world knew who this girl was. Cause this is like post cold war stuff too. Yeah. So it's unusual. Yeah. At the time. Um, she traveled all over the world activating for peace. Um, Bardo took a bus to Maine looking for Samantha, but he was found by authorities and sent back to Tucson. And he remained obsessed with Samantha until her tragic death in 1985. She was 13 when she died in a plane crash along with her father, which is also very sad. Was she? She was only activism like. Or- um, she had just returned from recording like a TV show, like a TV special, and their plane crashed on landing. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I think it was in like I Idaho or another rural Midwestern state, somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the middle. Oh, and I mean, sad. come on, your thirteen-year-old son, who like later would go on to be hospitalized for like these severe emotional damages, took a bus to stalk a girl that he had never met. And there was another singer, pop star Debbie Gibson. He also went to New York to stalk her, too, like right before his obsession with Rebecca began. So this is like Rebecca's the third celebrity that he went out of state to stalk. Yeah, that's a lot. And his parents were just like, yeah, okay, see you later. Just let just let it be frolicking all over. But judging by the abuse that he suffered from them, I'm assuming they weren't really like you should on the watch, yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is all before he was like he's like 13, 14, 15, 16 when all this is happening. Like when he was 16, he had a job as a janitor at a Jack in the Box after he had dropped out of school. He was overall unhappy with the way that his life was going, and he really dove into watching television as kind of an escape from reality. And he became infatuated with the character Patty from the show, My Sister Sam, played by Rebecca Schaefer. He immediately started writing letters to her, like thousands of other fans did, but he wrote a ton of letters to her. One of her co-stars and like one of the people who worked on the show, they were like, "Mm, I wouldn't write this person back. Like something's just not sitting right with this. Like this is a little weird. Like because of the amount he was writing. Yes, and like, he was like professing his love to her and telling her how much, you know, every red flag that you could imagine, you know. Rebecca finally responded to one of his many letters by saying that the letter was the most beautiful letter she had ever received. And she signed it with a peace sign, a heart, and with love, Rebecca. Um, he's, she sent him like a signed picture of her. But she was just a nice girl responding to this very persistent fan letter, you know. Yeah, you're like, if they're going to write me this many times, it's the least I can do. It's Exactly. But he took it as, I'm going to meet this woman. He wrote in his diary that, quote, when I think of her, I would like to become famous to impress her. He later said regarding Rebecca that she came into my life in the right moment. She was brilliant, pretty, outrageous. 
Her innocence impressed me. That's gross. She turned into a goddess for me, an idol. Since then, I turned an atheist. I only adored her. In the 18 months leading up to Rebecca's murder, Bardo was arrested three times for various, like, misdemeanors. One of them was pretty gnarly. All I could find was it said domestic violence. I don't know who it was against. Like, this is not like a lovey kid who's, like, obsessed with, you know, someone that they see on TV. It's not like a kid just writing letters, like, fan mail. This is a million times, like, over that limit. It's obsession. It's obsession, yeah. It wasn't long before admiring Rebecca wasn't enough for Bardo anymore. And Rebecca responding to the letter just further fueled Bardo's unhealthy, dangerous obsession. In June of 1987, Bardo, who was almost 17, arrived at the Burbank studio gates where Rebecca's TV show was produced. In his arms, he carried a dozen roses and a teddy bear. The gate guards spotted the red flags a mile away. And because you can't just walk onto a closed set or a movie studio... The gate guard didn't let him in. He said that he knew that something was off with him. He could just tell that, like, this wasn't, like, your typical fan. Yeah, you're just walking up the road with a bunch of roses and a teddy Mm -hmm. bear? He was just, he said that he mentioned Rebecca, he said Rebecca Schaefer, like, every other word. Like, I have to meet her. Just please let me in there. Just five minutes, please. But he actually diffused this situation, saying that he gave Bardo a ride back to his rundown motel, and Bardo assured him that he was going to be going home soon. He even called that guard the next day to let him know that he was getting on the bus home. There are varying reports on whether Rebecca was made aware of this situation, of this guy coming to her, like coming to California to see her. Mm -hmm. I did read in a few other articles that he traveled back a month later with a knife and was turned away and like, you know, his Can you remind me where he came from again? Uh, Tucson, Arizona. Oh, from Arizona. Okay. Yeah, so it's not too bad. But I mean, he's taking buses to New York and Maine, so. That's what I was thinking. I was like, he wasn't from the, I just got it mixed up in my head a little yeah. bit. So he's no, coming no, it's from okay. it's Arizona a lot of places. Yes. to LA. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And like I said, when I vomited earlier, he was obsessed with this innocence that he thought she had. The innocence that her character portrayed. The show was eventually canceled in April of 1988, partway through the second season. Like many shows are, it just it didn't have the ratings for the second season that it did for the first. And Rebecca was like 20 at the time. So she started expanding the types of roles that she took on to, you know, include more mature roles, as many actors do, as many adults. You know, you just... When you become an adult, you start you, taking exactly. roles for adults. Sure. You can't be kept into this like little kid, teenager bubble thing. And in June of 1989, scenes from The Class Struggle in Beverly Hills came out. And the movie, and in the movie, Rebecca's character has a bedroom scene with a male co-star. And this sent Bardo over the edge. In his mentally disturbed mind, he couldn't, one, comprehend how this woman who he idolized mainly because of this innocence that he thought she had could do that to him. And two... The bigger problem being that he was unable to separate Rebecca from the characters that she played. And he took it very personally when she had this scene. In his head, she was betraying him. And he couldn't comprehend this. Like, his mind could not wrap it, like, wrap around why she would do this to him. Like, him specifically. It's almost like she sent this letter, like, hey, this is the nicest letter I've ever received. Thank you. Most people would be like, oh, my God, look, I got a response. Like, Mm -hmm. hell yeah. Like, and be the end of it. But he took it as like, oh, she's into me too. And he felt like he needed to punish Rebecca for doing this to him, for hurting him like he she did, for, you know, like betraying him in his head. He drew pictures in this diary of his of where he wanted to shoot Rebecca. He started making plans. He tried to purchase a gun, but because of his history of mental illness, he was denied. So he talked his older brother into getting him a gun. With the promise that he would only shoot this gun with his brother at target practice. But really, you know this man. Like, you know your brother is mentally ill. Yeah, I'm sure it probably wasn't a secret within their family that he was struggling. And he probably had to say, like, yeah, I can't get a gun. Here's why. But you can get me one. Yeah. Even if he's like, I just want to shoot it for fun. You could. Why put that situation into his hand? You know, like, why would you do that? 
And I'm not saying people who don't have like some mental, like mental health issues. Like if you're managing them and you, by all means, I'm not telling no one to own a gun, but I'm telling you as someone who has repeatedly stalked celebrities, who has went to different states hunting down people, who has been in like mental hospitals, like that's probably not your first choice. Who has this history of severe mental Yes. Yeah, it's well, not like, oh, he, they have anxiety. Or even, like, like, they're bipolar, but they have it under control. They have whatever plethora of mental health issues that we deal with in 2023. Like, this is a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. During this spiral, Bardo read an article about Arthur Richard Jackson, who was the man who stabbed Teresa Saldana, the movie star that was in Raging Bull, several times after he was able to pay a private investigator to find her address. Now, she survived, and he was later charged with attempted murder. But he was like, so I can pay someone to get this address. And again, we say this all the time. We love a dumb criminal because he could have paid a dollar and gotten this DMV. It's like a dollar, one to five dollars and gotten her address. But he paid a private investigator about $300 to get her address. Before departing to L.A. again, this time armed with a gun and Rebecca's home address, he sent a sister of his who lived in Tennessee a letter that said, I have an obsession with the unattainable and I have to eliminate what I cannot attain. Creepy. Creepy. On the early morning of July 18th, 1989, Bartle walked the streets of L.A. looking for Rebecca's address. He carried with him a signed picture of the 21-year-old starlet and the letter that she had received, like returned to him. He eventually arrived at 120 North Sweetser Avenue. That morning, Rebecca was waiting for a script to be delivered for a possible upcoming, upcoming job, and the button that would usually let her buzz the person at the door to see who they were was broken. So when Bardo arrived at her door and knocked or rang the doorbell like she answered, he told her who he was. He showed her the letter that she wrote him and the picture that she signed. She was obviously caught off guard by this, but she was as nice about it as she could be. She was smiling. She was like, oh, thank you. I have to go. I have a meeting I have to get ready for. She shook his hand. She told him to take care and she set him on his way. And Bardo was on cloud nine from this interaction. He was like, yep, this that was the best day of my life. Mm-hmm. He went and had breakfast at a diner and... He says, again, this is one of those situations where he has talked a lot about what happened and she is not here to defend herself about what happened. Mm -hmm. He says that he remembered he made her a CD. And if you don't know what a CD is because you're like, you know, (laughs) 20 or below. (laughs) Baby, ask your parents. But he said he he remembered he made her the CD and he wanted to take it back to her. Once again, he knocked on the door. And once again, Rebecca came. Only this time when she came to the door, she wasn't as nice. Because who the hell would be? This is a strange man. This is the second time he's coming. to your house, yeah. And I I would assume that as soon as she saw that letter, she would remember who this man was. Like, you are the man who sent me hundreds of letters. Not just one letter, yeah. You responded one time, but you only responded because of the absolute onslaught of letters that you received. In the first place, he said that she said something along the lines of you come, you came to my door again, hurry up. I don't have much time. And he said that this really put him off and it like destroyed him. And without hesitation, he told her, I forgot to give you something. And he pulled his gun out of his bag. And with one point blank shot to her chest, he ended Rebecca Schaefer's young and promising life. As Rebecca fell to the ground, she cried out, why, why? How does this escalate to this point? And Bardo just strolled off. Her neighbor, Richard Goldman, heard the gunshot and saw a man with a yellow shirt and short kinky hair just trotting up the block. He saw Rebecca's legs outstretched on her doorstep, so he called 911. Rebecca was transported to Cedar Sinai Hospital, where she later succumbed to the injury from the gunshot wound. Her mom was working on a play when a friend of Rebecca's, Tom Noonan, called her to let her know that Rebecca had been murdered. And she missed the call at first, but she got his message, so she returned it. And at 12.15 that afternoon, she was informed that her only child had been murdered. And you think, like, 
he says that he oh i have this cd to give her but i don't think that is the case no, I, don't I don't think either. i don't think he ever intended to give her a cd i don't think there ever was a fucking cd i think that he went there he accomplished what he went there to do yeah he was like oh no i forgot to do the thing i came to do and and it's back. like the second time when she answered it and she was more curt because like i said who wouldn't be like the strange freaking weirdo is at your door like he said that she was like in this whiny voice like hurry up what are you doing here and it's like i would have been too like <laughs> i would have been too i'd have been like bitch leave like <laughs> actually i would have never even opened the door because i don't answer the door like <laughs> i don't time e- without texting before you arrive yeah yeah i don't but i like now you can answer like now i can see who's at my door before they ring the doorbell and they can be like what do you want from the ring <laughs> yeah. camera but like that wasn't the case in 1989 the next day back in tucson because he hopped a bus and went straight back home police were called because there was a man in traffic loudly proclaiming i killed rebecca schaefer like weaving in and out of traffic he would later say that he thought he owed it to Rebecca to kill himself after what had happened. But I'm going to be that person and say that if he wanted to, he had a gun. You know, like if it's like you want it, no, you he wanted, wanted the intent. He exactly. wanted to be famous. Yes. For doing I'm not this. trying to be like, oh, yeah, he should have done like he should have killed himself because that's a very delicate subject. And I don't you know, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that he had the tool to do it if. That was his goal, not weaving in and out of traffic, missing cars. Like, mm-hmm. No, bro, you want the fame. You want the attention of this. He was arrested and eventually extradited to California after Rebecca's neighbors were able to identify a picture of the man that was roaming around her neighborhood that day. His sister also confirmed that he called her the morning of the murder and said, I'm just a few blocks away from Rebecca's house. And at that point, like as a sister, like go home. Sir, stop what you are doing. This is crazy. LAPD also discovered items belonging to Bardo, including a copy of The Catcher in the Rye, which he carried because he learned that Mark David Chapman also carried a copy with him when he shot and killed John Lennon. Ew. That yellow shirt and a gun holster lying on the ground not far from Rebecca's apartment. Bardo's trial didn't begin until 1991. He elected for a bench trial. The prosecutor on the case was Marsha Clark who true crime aficionados know is the lead prosecutor in the O.J. Simpson trial. Of course, Bardo's mental capacity was questioned and blamed, saying that he was unable to plan her murder. But I think the advanced purchasing of a gun, going to L.A., paying to get her address, drawing in a diary of where you would like to punish her, they yeah, all it's kind like of if, the, if you can't have her, then the world can't have Like, no one else can. Exactly. In the end, it didn't matter. Bardo was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Her mom famously told him, be happy in jail during her statement, which honestly is a lot more peachy than what I would have said. Yeah. As you probably know, Gruesome uses Zencaster to record, produce, and analyze all on one podcast platform. If investing is something that you're interested in, You'll be excited to learn that Zencaster has recently opened a funding round, allowing listeners like you to own a stake in the company. More than 30,000 passionate creators actively use Zencaster, and it has become the preferred platform for creators to create, grow, and monetize their podcast. Podcasting advertising was the fastest growing marketing channel in 2021. If you're interested in investing in Zencaster, go to wefunder.com Zencaster or click the link in our episode description below to claim your slice of the future of podcasting. During the trial, Bardo said, I could probably tell you what I did after I killed her, how I got sick and all, but I don't feel like it. What a fucking twat. Like, you're a twat. He gave an interview a year after her murder and said, I was a fan of hers and I may have carried it too far. But a lot of things have appeared in the press to make me out to be a monster. If I had one wish where if it was to ever come true, it would be for Rebecca Schaefer to be alive today. Like you maybe think you carry it too far. You murdered her. Yeah. Like maybe like maybe I took it too far when I 
Like you could use that as like a I showed up at her movie set. Like yeah. maybe I took that. That too was far. probably too much. You know, maybe was... I took it too far when I sent her hundreds of letters. Maybe that was too far. But like you obviously took it too you ended her life, like a young, promising, yeah, beautiful girl's life. And not just too... an actor. Yeah, not an act like take her job out of it. You robbed her parents of like their daughter, her boyfriend of you know, like his girlfriend, like her friends, like the world, like, no, you're a twat. Rebecca's murder and the Teresa Saldana assault case um, provoked Governor George Duke Michon. (laughs) I'm just going to trail off so people don't yell at me too hard. The other, the old governor of California to sign a law that prohibited the DMV from releasing addresses and inspired the Los Angeles Police Department to create the first threat management team. The California law was passed in 1990 and became effective on January 1st, 1991. The law was the first of its kind, and it later helped to convict Jonathan Norman, who was sentenced to 25 years in prison for attempting to carry out threats against Steven Spielberg. And like what this law says is a stalker is defined as someone who willfully, maliciously, and repeatedly follows or harasses another victim and who makes a credible threat with the intent to place the victim or the victim's immediate family in fear of their safety. So there must be at least two incidents that constitute the crime to show like, you know, continuity of purpose or like the credible threat. So this is like the first law that's like you can go to jail for stalking. Like you Well, I think that was probably especially important in that area too. Yeah. Where there are a lot of people that are, you know, that was where media was being created and that was where everyone was located that was created. Like now you can be anywhere in the world, but at that time you were pretty much and I we are not celebrities by any means. <laughs> Like, no, (laughs) we're not. And I still, I recently, um, like I archived all the pictures of my kids on Instagram and I like made my page pro like public. So I could start just showing people like weird shit that I do on a daily basis, like whatever. But there is, I read comment sections of like TikTok stars and stuff like that, where it's, you post this content or you have these movies, like you welcome the public into your life. And then you have those people who feel entitled to that. It's like I have entitled to it or you just you become content. You don't become a human being anymore. You're just like you are just this, you know, ethereal thing floating in Internet world. I made a reel recently and I had somebody comment on it like, good. Now we have this video of your ugly face eating food. And I was just like, that wasn't like this, like not a nice thing to say. I don't know why someone would just be like, I'm going to say this. This sounds Did about you know right. The most lawless time besides like now it's they have a lot of filters where a lot of, you know, hateful stuff will get filtered out. Mm-hmm. But do you remember when we like used to mess around on YouTube, the lawlessness of co- the comment section of YouTube in the early 2000s? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Where they're like, just- go die. Like, I hope your family dies. This Go jump off a building. I'm, you know, it's. Yeah. I mean, all of that, including like chat rooms. And we talked about that in that one case. They like shut MSN chat down because it was so like no one, no one can police that area Mm -mm. to the extent that it was. It's lawless. Yeah. It was lawless. And I like even this last week where I posted um, that we were going to have a late episode, which turned into like us not releasing an episode. And we didn't have anyone, like, bitching about it. And that they were all like, you know, hey, we get it. That sucks. But I hope you guys are doing well. And I was like, we have the best listeners. No, like, we do. And the I think best they under- listeners. I think that people in, like, this genre of podcasts, this niche, who listen to it understand mental health and the need to take breaks. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us are, you know, overworked and underpaid and are – like one or two bad days away from also being like, I can't fucking do can't this fucking anymore. Do this shit. <laughs> yeah. And so I do appreciate the understanding that comes with um, the people who choose to listen to us and 
we i appreciate them uh happier note on the end of this on july 27th 2007 at the age of 37 bardo was stabbed 11 times on his way to breakfast at the mule creek state prison in amador county california he unfortunately survived the attack and he is still serving out his prison sentence today but he got shanked by two different people like rapid 11 times 11 times I wonder what prompted that attack. I would be, would like to know. <laughs> my own, like, he, what's in mind? Wants to know. I think he did another interview, like, in the recent, I didn't, I know it sounds bad. There are some murderers who I will listen to, like, their interviews and stuff. But usually it's, like, even, like, the Dahmer tapes and stuff, it's more of, like, a, ugh, like, you, ugh, like, whatever. Yeah. But, like, I just... He just kept saying, I didn't do this for the fame. I'm like, yes, you did. You did. You <laughs> wanted people to know you might who you not were. feel that way now, but when you did that, that is absolutely what was mm-hmm. happening. You were like, I will be known for this and I will take her away and they will just have me instead. Ugh, gross. And those two inmates were like, we don't want you either. But their shanks weren't sharp enough or long enough. And now look, we're all still stuck with you, Bardo. Fucking douchebag. I take a ton of notes. I am a writer, a student, a habitual list maker, and even though I love paper, I do feel bad about the number of notebooks that I buy and then don't fill up before I buy another one. I made a mini goal this year to waste less paper, and Paperlike has really made that easier for me. Paperlike is perfect for anyone who writes or draws with an iPad and an Apple Pencil, the surface of the paper-like is coated using nanodots, which are tiny microbeads that are designed to add superior stroke precision when you drag the Apple Pencil across the screen. Every paper-like comes in a set of two, so you'll always have a spare, just in case. I love that I'm wasting less paper, but I still get to feel like I'm writing on paper. To pick up your paper-like, head over to paperlike.com gruesome, click buy paper-like, and then select your iPad size. Ready to do more with your iPad? Head over to paperlike.com slash gruesome to get started. I want to send him, we should get his address and just send him hate mail. I'm sure he probably gets hate mail. Oh, sure. tons. I hope so, at least. I hope I hope that he gets the confetti mail that when you open it, it's just a bag of dicks. Just a bag of dicks. It's, it's just, just like confetti like, dicks. It, it opens like open it, it and it just, just will... releases fart spray. It just smells like farts all around you. Yeah. Have you ever seen those videos of those guys that plant boxes in like cars or on porches for like porch pirates or car jackers to like steal on purpose? And they have a camera in them and they like release fart spray. (laughs) Like there's those so satisfying to like listen to those and see someone just like fully steal something. And then they like think it's a PS5 and it takes off as a drone and releases fart spray and glitter all over the place. Man, like that is true. Do you? That, that's the kind of revenge I live for right there. Do you know what I want someone to do? I want someone to make that box. Like if you live in an area where you have like a high rate of packages being stolen, do this. Make the box. Do you know the meme of the African-American like big buff guy who's naked sitting on the end of the bed? Yes, I do. I want where the genital region is for you to spray something out of that area. So they (laughs) see this big man sitting on a bed naked and then they, you know, like as they're opening the box and then glitter and fart spray, spray, (laughs) silly string, shit. I don't care. Like, I don't care what (laughs) it is. Just something come out. Like, and then I want you to record it. (laughs) <laughs> that's what we want to see that's the yeah. content i need to see that's I, what i want my tiktok to be i probably spent a couple of hours one day just watching like the evolution of this guy who makes these boxes like the first one he made and then how it just like escalated and it got bigger and bigger and bigger until it was like a full like drone with camera with alarms that were going off and just like, and they like chip it so they can track it. It's beautiful. And just to see a lot of times, like one time it was like, so, like this 
parents had stolen a package off of a porch and they opened it and they were like, it's a PS5 and the kids were there, but they had like stolen it and they, Jeez. and they opened it and it started going off and the kids like started freaking out. And I was just like, what an awesome, like life lesson. If those, don't steal. Yeah, if those kids didn't know that like stealing someone else's stuff is wrong. They do now. Like that was full karma, full circle. It was awesome. I ordered some weird shit from Amazon, so I'm kind of like, bro, go ahead. <laughs> to your loss. I feel like I had a little bit of a, um, my husband always says, you are you can't keep air in a jar when he's talking to me. And he's like, oh, I see you let some air out of the jar this week because you have been buying things and like Amazon packages keep showing up. And I was like, yeah, but I didn't buy anything like, like I bought a pair of platform Crocs. I bought a thing to cook eggs with in the microwave. I bought some latches for the couch. I pre-ordered Paris Hilton's new book. I'm just like, <laughs> and he was like, you're feeling a little just like flighty this week, just going with your heart. I'm like, yeah, I think so. <laughs> That's how I live my life. But I caught it. I caught it. I was looking at something else. I was like, you do not need that. Stop. What are you doing? I just, I have in my cart right now the bum bum cream. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, the set with like the body spray and the body wash. And I was like, I still have a dupe for that. I don't know. I saw on a TikTok that there's a Costco dupe for the bum bum. Ooh, I got to look that up because I was like, I want to smell like a hot TikTok girl. Like, (laughs) (laughs) what do you think they smell like? I probably just coconut. Probably coconut and money like because this was like a hundred dollars and i was like am i gonna do this and then i was like i was like thirty dollars a piece like thirty dollars for that's not too bad but i also got a couple trips coming up can't do it yeah (laughs) i just ordered nutrius brazilian body butter it's from costco in a two-pack and it's Hold on, my page is loading still. I don't see a price because it's Costco. But it's I have a Costco membership. You just have to go. I just have to go. It's like 30 minutes away. So if I go all the way there and they don't have it, I'm going to be like, oh, how dare they? How dare they they do this to you? Oh, they do have shipping. Hmm? Hmm? All right, I'm going to try this, guys. But I hear their body, like the makers of that, I can't pronounce it. Um, the makers of it, the body spray is like chef's kiss. Do you have any of these things? I need, I need some feedback because I need to be manic and order some shit. This girl asked me if I wanted hand sanitizer the other day and it's like the spray kind and she sprayed some and I ripped it on my hand and I smelled my hands and I just went like whoosh back in time because it smelled like the cotton candy body spray. (gasps) Do you remember that? Yes. That was the smell. Like I There were two smells at that point in time. There was the cotton candy or blazing blueberry and you had to be a cotton candy girl or blazing blueberry girl. Well, I and guess it was a cotton candy girl because I was I just a like, blazing blueberry because it had glitter. I loved. <laughs> I that was still, important. <laughs> I still love glitter. I like okay. to be very sparkly. Uh, it was just awesome. And so I am going to go buy some of that hand sanitizer now. Is it the I square just... kind that sprays? No, it was in a round bottle. So I wrote it down in my notebook. I don't remember what it was. I saw that now there's square container spray, like hand sanitizer, or maybe it's not hand sanitizer because it was like things that Gen Zers are influencing millennials into buying. And one of them was the Stanley Cup, which oh, guilty. And then <laughs> the other one was like this Brazilian bum bum cream. And I was like, well, I got to buy that too. And the other one was this, like, it looked like a flask, but it had hand sanitizer in it. And it just went and sprayed on the hands. And I was like, I don't really go that many places, but I mean, I could. Well, you need hand sanitizer in your house. Yeah. Oh, I have. (laughs) You walk into, well, not now. It smells like vomit because my daughter just puked. But all day today, if you walked into any room, you smelled bleach. And I had to Google and call my mother-in-law on how to like properly dilute bleach. Cause I know, I know there's like the Clorox cleaning and stuff like that, but I was like this got to call the big guns. I need <laughs> bleach. 
bleach, bleach, bleach. And I was nervous. I was like, I don't use bleach for anything. And I'm oh, nervous. Really? Dude, I just like pour some in a cap and throw it in my sink after I do the dishes and just wipe it around my sink and let You're it set in there. Soul. The smell right reminds me Just of like my... grandma. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The smell reminds me of my grandma. <laughs> like her hands always smelled like bleach. It is a very grandma thing to do. Some If I run out of um, like dish soap, which happens because I don't have a dishwasher. I just have to wash my dishes by hand. I will like th- just throw a cap full of bleach in the water and scrub with bleach water. Dude, all my that is that wild. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go buy bleach. I didn't even have bleach in my house. You didn't house. have any? No, I it's like no a cleaning bleach. staple at my house. I have bleach, vinegar, and baking soda. I do have vinegar. I love cleaning stuff with vinegar. Like I love it. But this was not a vinegar job. This was a bleach job. And judging by the fact that my daughter vomited anyways, and the rest of my family is sick, I'm assuming this is a super germ that bleach can't even touch. Uh, I wish that it, I wish that like germs would glow in the dark, you know, like. You don't, because they would literally be everywhere. Like You wouldn't be able to touch anything. You'd be like crouched in a corner, hiding, like the germs, they're everywhere. It's like how Howie Mandel feels every day of his life. Oh my God, poor guy. (laughs) I felt the impending doom Monday when they called me to get him and then he started puking. And I was like, this is it. Because we just is the worst. We just went through this like a few weeks ago. Like I remember. We all remember. Like, come on. Give me a break, guys. I don't know what else I need to do. Other than homeschool my children. It's that time of the year. You know, it's the end of all this cold stuff. I feel like it always goes around one or two more times. It gets warmer and everyone. And I'm going to be that old lady right now. It just didn't get cold enough to kill shit this year. It didn't get cold enough for you. It was cold enough plenty for me over here. I feel like it didn't get, like, we have, like, a few cold days, but nothing like what we usually do. We had more snow than we've had in years here in the last. Really? Yeah. Yes. I only had, unless I I'm felt just... bad because my in-law, or, like, my brother and my sister-in-law moved here from California, and I was like, oh, the winters aren't even that bad anymore. They haven't been bad for, like, several years. And then literally the worst one. I think the kids have only had like two snow days, if that. Yeah. Like we just hasn't been that much. Mm, bitches. Just a couple hours. Just what a couple of hours to do. I just Slightly need like, south. Uh, All my classmates had to come up to my neck of the woods because we were teaching in schools this week. And several of them were like, it's way colder here than it is in Indianapolis because they like commute from all over. And I'm like, yeah, it's like a couple of hours north. It makes sense that it's colder there. But they were surprised by how much colder it was. Dude, we grilled out tonight. It was like beautiful. It was super nice. 74 degrees. 60s. Oh, see, exactly. It was like (laughs) 66. I was living my best life. I went drove my windows down. Yeah, I was like 74 here today. And this is what's funny, guys, is we live two hours east. I live two hours east of Meg. So it's not like. You know, we have like yeah. this crazy, but it's weird. Like we, we grilled out. I wore shorts. Like when I was out and about, um, like we grilled out. My daughter had like wonderful hot dogs that got to blow chunks off her leg. <laughs> no, you threw up hot dogs. No, that's the worst throw. I know. <laughs> hot dogs, mac and cheese. Cause she's got a very diverse diet guys. <laughs> And uh, she's four that she'll run yeah. on just fumes. It doesn't matter. And Paw Patrol Please. yogurt. She'll just the- eat some cardboard and like a raisin she found in a corner and she'll <laughs> no, go for three days. <laughs> I looked at her the other day. I was like, how much macaroni and cheese have you had? She was like a lot. I was like, all right, let's <laughs> take a break. One day break on the Mac. Did you poop today? Because yikes. <laughs> and then I have like my oldest who will is also a garbage like will eat anything like you put it in front of him and he's eating it my middle son is criticizing the lobster risotto like the poached lobster that this guy made on Hell's Kitchen so he has a very <laughs> like high class he's classy fella classy fella 
Oh, kids. I love them, but goddamn. We're all going to send. Oh, thank you for everyone's good energy because I took my boards last week. And she passed it. We hope. I don't find out for like, it said three to four weeks, but I think the average is like 12 to 15 days. But I will report back. So thank you for that good energy. I appreciated it. Oh, it's down to 12 days? Yeah, it says, so it says when you get the, after you're done, it prints out a sheet and you get this sheet and it tells you like your dent pin. And then it says like, all right, in three to four weeks, your results will be posted. We'll email you. And I'm like, okay, cool. But I was reading a bunch of like forums and like group, I was reading at conversation groups. Oh my gosh. Conversations in different groups. And most of them have said that between 12 and 15 days, they're getting their results back. That's like next week. Yeah. I have an alarm on my phone to check next Friday. So we will see. We will see. You're going to rock it. Thank you. I appreciate your nice words, but I also don't want to like hype myself up too much just to like come crumbling down (laughs) because the fallout's not going to be cute if that happens. And that's like I'm giving like my classmates advice the best I can and I'm like guys please take this with a grain of salt because I don't even know (laughs) because I was the first one in my class to take it so everybody's like what was it like was it scary I'm like kind of that's how it was when I got and I don't know how that test is like when I got my COA it my test I like was explaining to like my coworker who was taking hers I was like oh yeah study refractions and transposing prescriptions and pharmacology. And she was like, I didn't have any of that on my test. Right? That's like, oh, sorry. They're all different and weird and they mix them up. And that's like, I had a lot of one thing on my test and I had questions that were really general and not necessarily dental at all. And I went and talked to some of my instructors about them and just asked. And the answers that I put for those questions, I think were right. But I, fully guessed on a couple of them I was like "Mm, this is an educated guess but we're going with it yeah let's hope it was educated enough (laughs) you know my the worst tests I hate are the personality tests like what would you do because typically my first response is not the correct response so I have to do like well there isn't a correct response it's just what you would do it just means you have a different personality I don't like it when they have the like like definitely somewhat yeah. definitely neutral this this like i'm because i'll never go high or low on anything no i never. default to neutral it's like that's my personality anyways like i'll always go like somewhat somewhat just somewhere in the middle i'm like if i i really have to feel strongly about it to like go high know, on it's something. like such and such is doing this how do you intervene and i was like i don't <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna go ahead and just mind my business. That's what and I'm going to Stitches get stitches. That's what I was told. Ugh. Unless you ask me directly and then I'm going to rat them out. But that's only because I'm not a good liar. <laughs> or if they try to get me in trouble, I'm also going to be like, Ayo. I'm going to keep this in my back pocket for when I need it. <laughs> and then I'm going to be like, well, you know what? Tattletale. No. <laughs> me is going to come out of nowhere and just be yeah. like, well, guess what? I saw you last week do this. Oh, suddenly they're not so eager to tell anymore. Let me, I came with receipts. <laughs> That's why I come to every argument with my husband. Please tell me the one thing you're annoyed about. Cause I'm going to lay it out. <laughs> Cause yeah. I'm prepared to full on battle. I read this thing um, that said, that in relationships, dudes are just like on cruise control and like in this is like heteronormative relationship, but and women are always feel like they're one really good big fight away from leaving. And that's why like there's a difference in that. And I was just like, yeah, honestly, I buy it. That's mm-hmm. true of my relationship. <laughs> like I'm like, hmm, one one big thing. My, uh, I drove yesterday. I don't usually drive because I am a terrible driver. Um, but we had to go pick up my son's medicine. We had to, I wanted to grab dinner because I like everyone had been sick. I didn't want to cook. Um, 
and I curbed my van like four times. And it's just like not a big deal to me. I'm just like, oh, oops. Four times? Like one of the times it was the median. I tried to whip a U-turn and it just didn't quite whip it. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't whip shit. You curb stomped it. (laughs) My husband's just looking at me and he's like, how the fuck do you exist? Like, how does this not bother you? And I'm just like, it's fine. It's fine. We're fine. Everything's Everyone fine. good? If I'm you gonna need an alignment. Next time you pull up outside my house, like pull Take up a out picture front. of the curb. Yeah, because there's like skin marks, like four different places for where I come in hot, and it's just like you stress me out too, honestly. I know. I have I a tried- hard time riding in other people's cars. You didn't drive like that when I rode with you though. No, I was on my best behavior. <laughs> That's why because we walked. You, you had already told me that you were nervous in other people's cars. And I was like, I, I get super nervous in other people's cars. I almost always drive all the time. And I also get car sick. It's like and it waiver. works. Like, I love being a passenger seat princess. Let me kick up my feet and scroll on my phone. Like, do you, boo-boo? You can drive. Like, I will never fight to drive. Like, I'm not that girl. <laughs> You want to drive? No. Uh, yeah. You, like, if you ask my kids, they'll be like, "Who drives?" A little bit. Mom drives. Mom drives everywhere. It's. I just. But I, I think it's because, like, I can empathize with your husband. If people who have ADHD, I just don't like. In my experience, no. Like, he to drive. stresses me out when he drives because he's like, "Oh," and like looking and like talking and looking, and I'm like, "There's, stop. Pay attention to the road." Oh my gosh. Also, I, just... I think someone honked at me earlier today, like angrily. I couldn't tell if it was at me, but I've been thinking about it since that happened. And I was I get honked out do? so much. I just don't even <laughs> listen to it anymore. I just, like, it's really been processing. Like, what did I do? Did I, was I not going? I feel like maybe I wasn't going fast enough because I was going. My husband was like, do you not feel the urgency when the light turns green to just take off? And I'm like, no. Nah just go like when, it, when I go I go he's like you you worry me I'm glad that I live in a small town because there would be people real there'd probably be signs about me on billboards watch just like your face place. with a cancel mark through like watch out for this woman pass her if necessary because <laughs> she doesn't know what's going on you know what else I noticed today on my way home a lot of police like every couple miles, like every one or two miles. Look, there was you drive one. a car though that doesn't look like a mom car. You got to get yourself a white Honda Odyssey. I, I know that. Do, and I, the, I never, never thought about it in my SUV. Never even considered it. But now whenever I see cop cars, I'm like, oh shit, I'm going down today. I have no. done nothing wrong. I, I, I just be drive by. Nothing I can damn near drive by a cop with both my middle fingers up. And he's like, look at that mom. She's so fucking cute. Look at her. Just jamming to Wu-Tang Clan in there. No big deal. Yeah, no, I fully expect that I'm going to get pulled over and they're going to find, like, cocaine, that a whole kilo that someone stashed in there. And just <laughs> It's been in there for years. Just because... pixie dust from one of the kids. Like, no big deal. Yeah, I think that that's what's going to happen to me one day. But I know there's nothing. There's nothing in my car. It's pretty empty. There's an old uh, Nutri-Grain bar on the floor that my kid refused to eat. And I still haven't picked up, though. So uh, maybe if they need a snack. I just cleaned my car out this weekend. And it was my youngest son all the way in the back. Took a... And I don't ever go back there. Like, what do I need to be in the back of my hand? <laughs> I should like, pretend like that that doesn't exist anymore. After the kid's lawless back there. He, an upside down ice cream cone <gasps> cup holder with caramel. <laughs> he was like, well, I don't like caramel. I was like, obviously. <laughs> I don't know how long. Put it in the old Happy Meal box that's tucked on the floor. <laughs> like, find like, something. He likes to crumble. He's so weird. Like, when he's done eating something, he just fucking crumbles it in his hand. He and crushes he's like, it. Done. He's done with it. So I imagine that's what happened with this. And he, I don't know how long it's been there, but I had to, my scrub daddy wouldn't fit down in it. So I had to scoop it out with my hands. <gasps> Ew. Mm-hmm. Ugh. That was, made 
my butt pucker thinking about having to scoop out old food out of a cup holder. Mm-hmm. On that note. Into it. That's good. We'll leave you yeah. with that imagery. Enjoy. Uh, bye, bye. Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime, a Zencaster-powered podcast. Seriously, we wouldn't be here without them. Zencaster is simple to use and makes it easy to edit your own podcast. Zencaster gives you automatic, high-quality post-production sound, transcription, and HD video recordings of all of your episodes. If you want to start a podcast, and we think you should, click the link in the show notes or at our website and use the code GRUESOME with a capital G for 30% off your first three months. We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, here are some ways that you can support Gruesome. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or a five-star rating on Spotify. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us. Follow us at Gruesome Podcasts on Instagram or TikTok and talk to us on our posts. Join the Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and gain access to bonus episodes and exclusive Patreon perks. Or if a one-time donation is more your thing, we have a Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and a PayPal via our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which, we love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us your questions, comments, suggestions, Or just ask our opinion on whether that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're We're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye.